Amen. I've been speaking to you on the supernatural word. That one said the supernatural word. And I want to see how far I can go to this morning and uh, speak along these lines. I believe it's a blessing. I, I really believe that this is something the Lord has put on my heart that's going to bless people. I've, I've been telling you that the word of God is a supernatural and powerful word. Whether it is the written word or the spoken word. Whether it's the written word or the spoken word, it is supernatural and it is powerful. Amen. But it will do you no good until you put it in your heart and speak it through your mouth. Should I say that again? Some of you may have to write some of these things down because... You have to take these things home and think about them and meditate on them until it sinks into your heart, into your spirit. And I want to ask you today, do not listen to this with your, with your ears. Listen to this with your heart. Amen. The word of God is supernatural. The word of God is powerful. Whether the Rema word or the Logos. Because it's the word of God. But this word will do you no good until you put it in your heart and speak it out of your mouth. In the book of Romans chapter 10, I want us to turn there from verse 8. Romans chapter 10, we read from verse 8. Romans chapter 10, we read from verse 8. If you have found it, say praise the Lord. If you haven't found it, say wait for me. Okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> Romans chapter 10, the Bible says from verse 8, but what does it say? The word, I want to say the word. The word, the word is near you. If you read that in the, King, in, the, in the King James Version, it says the word is nigh thee. That means the word is near you. That's what the New King James Version says. In your mouth and in your heart. In your mouth and in your heart. That's why I told you that the word is supernatural. The word is powerful. Whether it's the Rema word, whether it's the Logos, whether it is the revealed word, whether it is the written word, it is supernatural, it is powerful. But this supernatural and powerful word will do you no good until you first put it in your heart and speak this word out of your mouth. I've talked about some people who, when they're about to go to bed in the night, they put the Bible under their pillow. Hoping that when a demon shows up in the night, the Bible under the pillow will ward off the demon. And I've said to you that the Bible under your pillow does not fight off any devil. It is the word that you have put in your heart. It is the word that you speak out of your mouth that will destroy all the attack of the enemy against your life. 
That's why the text here says, but what does it say? The word is nigh you or near you in your mouth and in your heart. So I established that the word of God has got to be in two places. I want to say two places. The first place is your heart. The second place is your mouth. The word that's in your heart, but not spoken out of your mouth, will do you no good. Did you hear me? The word has to be in your heart and the word has to come out of your mouth. Because it is what you believe in your heart that you speak out of your mouth. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, My son, protect your heart with all diligence, because out of your heart flows the issues of life. The word has got to be in your heart. The word has got to be in your mouth. It says here again in Romans 10 verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess. I want to say confess. confess. Confession. It's something you do by speaking. Are you listening to me? You confess by speaking. You don't confess by thinking. You confess by opening, your, opening up your mouth and speaking the word. Can someone say amen? amen? A lot of people think a lot but speak nothing. You've got to speak. You have to open your mouth. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And he that loves the fruit will eat thereof. Are you listening? You have to speak. What do you speak? Not what the economy says. Not what the news channel says. Not what your feelings say. Not what your friends and your neighbors and your family say. You only say what God's word says. That is why you must put the word in your heart first. And when the word is in your heart and you have a revelation of the word, then you can speak that word out of your mouth and you will see the power of the word, the effectiveness of the word, walk in your life and in your situation. And I thought someone would say amen. amen. That if you confess with your mouth, the Bible is such a simple book to understand if you understand it by the help of the Holy Ghost. Notice it says, in actual fact, the Bible tells you confess with your mouth. Look at the way it says it, if you confess with your mouth. Notice it does not say if you confess with your head. It says if you confess with your mouth. In actual fact, it tells you, it tells you what to do and it tells you how to do it. <laughs> I, got, I thought someone was going to say amen to that. Amen. Now listen, that's revelation to some people this morning. Does not say if you think with your head, it says if you confess with your mouth. Can someone say amen? amen. If you confess, tell your neighbor confess. confess. <laughs> with your mouth. With your the mouth is used for confession. I, I hope somebody gets that today. I said the mouth is used for confession. 
And what you confess, you're going to have. I said, what you confess, you will have. Use your mouth and confess the right thing. Don't confess death over your life. Don't, don't confess death over your finance. Don't confess death over your family. Amen. Are you listening to me? Amen. I don't care what's happening. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what's in your head. I, I've realized that a lot of times there is doubt in the head, but there is faith in the heart. Mm. Uh, did, you, did you hear what I just said? Yo, you didn't hear that? All the negativity in your head cannot determine the destiny of your life. I don't care what is in you. I don't care what's going on there. Someone said, Pastor, my head is, I think, too much. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you, sometimes you just feel you're bombarded by negative thoughts? Some people don't. I know some of you are angels. You're already in heaven. Uh, but some of us, sometimes we get bombarded with negative thoughts, thoughts of anxiety, thoughts of fear. But the fact that there is the thought of fear comes to me does not mean I have to walk in fear. The, the fact that the thought of anxiety comes to me does not mean I have to be anxious. Take that money. It's a thought. But the money does not belong to you. That doesn't mean you have to take the money. Are you listening to me? Go rob a bank. That's a thought. That doesn't mean you have to take a weapon and go rob a bank. Are you listening now? Thoughts come. But we can resist them. We can say no. The difference between a believer who is living in victory and a believer who is living in defeat... Is the fact that the one who's living in victory decides not to yield to the thoughts. We all get tempted, don't we? And the only time temptation stops and thoughts, negative thoughts stop coming to us, is when we leave this world. As long as you're still here, negative thoughts will come to you. And you know, do you know what fights off these thoughts? Do you know the resistance we have on the inside that pushes back the thoughts? It's the word of God. Amen. If you've got no word, you've got nothing to fight with. That's why it's important that everyone here builds their life on the word. If you build your life on the word, I don't care what comes against you, it would not move you. The Bible says the righteous is like Mount Zion that abides forever and cannot be moved. Praise God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I know we use this verse a lot when it comes to leading sinners to the Lord. I use it a lot. I use it almost every, every time I call people up to give their hearts to Christ. But you've got to understand that the verse here or the verses here apply to every area of our lives. With the heart man believes unto healing. 
with the mouth, confession is made unto healing. The word salvation here is the word in Greek, sozo, which is completeness, wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. Are you listening? So what area do you want God to touch you? What area are you struggling? It is the revelation you have in that area that brings the victory. For you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is impossible to know the truth and still be in bondage. Can someone say amen? amen. Look at the, Bible, uh, the, the, the book of Mark chapter 11. Look at the Bible book, Mark chapter 11, verse 23. <laughs> Mark eleven twenty-three. It says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, Notice, faith is in the heart, not in your head. That's why I said negative thoughts might flood your mind, but faith can still reside in your heart. Thoughts of anxiety, thoughts of defeat, thoughts of I cannot do it can flood your mind, but that does not mean I can't do it. Because... The thought is in my mind does not mean I can't believe the word of God that says I can do all things Amen. through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. The fact that thoughts of poverty is flooding your mind does not mean you can't believe that the Lord will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The fact that there is thoughts of worthlessness and you feel that you, you don't deserve it does not mean you can believe that you are the head and not the tail, above, not beneath. The light of the world, the salt of the earth, a building on a hill that cannot be hid. Listen, I don't care what the thoughts are. You can believe the word of God. Can someone shout amen? amen. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Doubt and faith are in the heart, not in the head. Did you hear me? If you do not doubt in your heart, but you can have both at the same time. You can have doubt and faith in your heart at the same time. It's either you have faith or you have doubt. Did you hear me? That's why the word of God has got to flood our hearts. Because when we are flooded by God's word, doubt will dissipate. Doubt will run. When we are flooded with the word, for faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Can someone say amen? amen? Why is it that people don't get, in most cases, why is it that people don't get things in different areas? Because there are so many areas where we have to contend for the supernatural. Is that right? So many areas. And you might find yourself doing very well in this particular area, but struggling in the other. Did you hear me? 
You find yourself doing well in this area, but you're struggling in the other area. Why? Because in this area, you flooded your heart with truth. You shall know the truth. The truth you know will make you free. He sent forth his word and healed them. How did he heal them? By his word. And his word delivered them out of all their destruction. So whatever it is that you're struggling with and battling with and you're not having victory over. The reason you're not is because you are deficient of the word in that area. Mm. Did you hear what I just said? When you are deficient of the word in a particular area, you will struggle. The only way you can have victory in that area that you struggle is by finding the word in regards to what you are dealing with. And the word will give you the victory. Amen. Notice, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So the question is, where am I struggling? If I find out where I'm struggling, then I need to find out the truth that sets me free in that area. Until I find the truth that sets me free in that area, I can pray and pray and pray and fast all I want. Because prayer and fasting does not work without the word. Come on now. You can beat yourself up with all kinds of religious activities. That does not mean you're going to break through. The only thing that causes you to break through is faith in this word. The Bible says you pray and you pray amiss and you don't receive because you pray amiss. It's not like you're not praying. You're praying but you're not praying according to his word. This is the confidence we have in him that if we shall ask anything according to his word, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we have the petition we desire of him. Amen. I believe somebody's life is going to change today. <laughs> You see the problem? The problem is not the lack of prayer. The problem is praying outside the word. The problem is praying with no revelation. The problem is praying with no understanding. And everyone say amen. Verse 23 of Mark 11 is such a powerful verse. And I, I emphasized this verse last week. Notice, Jesus said, whoever says to this mountain. So the mountain here is symbolic to what? Problems. Right? The mountain here is symbolic to problems. Notice Jesus did not say whoever thinks about this mountain. Jesus did not say whoever fellowships with this mountain. <laughs> Jesus did not say whoever caresses this mountain. Jesus did not say whoever talks about this mountain. That's not what he said. Exactly. 
whoever says to the mountain. Not talk about the mountain. Many are never coming out of the troubles because they're talking about the trouble. You know, people, that's the human nature. But you just like people to come and, and, and cry with you. That is the human nature. And a lot of times the human nature feels good when they cry. Oh, yeah. Sorrow has companions. You want friends to come around you and, and, and tell you, it's okay. They cry with you. I mean, I think they still have the culture in the Middle East, especially back under the old, uh, the time of Jesus. They'll, they'll, they'll hire people to cry. They were professional criers. <laughs> if you want people to cry with you, pay them, they'll come cry. They know how to weep up emotion and they'll just start crying. And everyone that comes around them cries. So Jesus did not say, cry about the mountain. Talk about the mountain. Talk about the problem. The more we talk about the problem, the more we got our prayer support. That's not what he said. He said, whoever says to this mountain. So what's the mountain in front of you? What are you saying to it? Jesus said, if you say to the mountain, be moved. And be cast into the sea. And you do not doubt in your mind. Is that what he said? Huh? You do not doubt in your where? Aha. Uh -huh. You don't doubt in your heart. Not in your mind, but in your heart. Because faith is in your heart, not in your mind. And if you don't doubt in your heart. Listen. If you want to stay in faith, you've got to put the word in your heart. And you've got to speak the word out of your mouth. I don't care how you feel. The Bible says Abraham did not stagger in unbelief. Rather, he kept giving thanks. Are you listening now? How did he stay in faith? He kept giving thanks. How did he stay in faith? He kept the word, the promise in his heart. And for 25 years, he had to wait. Someone waited for 25 days and they're saying, I don't think God wants to give it to me. And some 25 days after waiting, they go to God and they say, God, I'm giving you an ultimatum. If you don't do it today, I'll never serve you again. <laughs> But can I tell you, when it comes to dealing with the problems of life, don't call on God. <laughs> Pastor Godwell is about to teach a wrong doctrine. Don't call on God. Speak to the problem. Because God already gave you the authority. See, religion wants you, oh, God, come help me. 
God said, I helped you already. You have all it takes to, to deal with it. I say, you have all it takes to deal with it. Amen. I say, you have all it takes to deal with it. Amen. Listen, some mountains are, are big. Some problems are stubborn. But if you are tenacious, if you will not give up, if you are persistent, somebody has to give way. And I can guarantee you, if you are persistent, if you are tenacious, you will not be one that gives way. The problem will give way. Amen. Come on now. Before Jesus talked about, if you say to the mountain, he had seen a fig tree. This fig tree was there and it had no figs but leaves. That's the way some people are. They are leafy. <laughs> they are not fruity. They are leafy. It's all leaves. You go close to this leafy tree, you expect to see fruit. You see no fruit. They're taking up space. They are using up the nutrients in the soil. So Jesus comes and he looks at it. The Bible says he expected to see fruit on it. And when he saw no fruit on the tree, he said, let no man eat from you from this day onwards. He said it. He believed it. He walked on. Did you hear me? A lot of times we doubt the things we say. Don't doubt the things you say. Believe in the things you say. Amen. Come on now. Amen. Oh yeah, I'm, I'll tell you, this is, the, this is the simplest way to operate in faith. We doubt the things we say. We begin to second guess ourselves. We begin to say, oh, we begin to rationalize. Don't rationalize. If that thing shouldn't be there, speak to it and believe it. Believe what you say. Are you listening to me? If you do not doubt in your heart, but you believe those things you said will come to pass, you shall have whatever you say. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, you shall have whatever you say. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, you shall have whatever you say. <laughs> so it's time to begin to say. It's time to start saying things. Praise God. Just in this one verse, verse 23, Mark 11, once Jesus said heart, three times Jesus said says. Once he said heart, three times he says says. In other words, we should be saying more than we think. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We should be saying more than we're thinking. 
Listen to this. This is very important. You can say it without praying it. But you should say it after you've prayed it. Did you, should I say that again? <laughs> you can say it without praying it. But you should say it after you've prayed it. Should I explain that? What? <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> when you say what God says, without praying to God about it, you will have it. But when you pray about a thing and don't say it, you may not have it. So after you have prayed, you see, I have to say. <laughs> Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You still have to say what you prayed. Because your faith is not complete words. Did I say that again? Your faith is not complete without words. James says it this way. Faith. Without corresponding action is dead. So we pray and 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 pray and, and, and it's not happening. Yes, because you're not saying it. You can say it and have it. But after you've prayed it, you still have to say it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Interesting. These are some of the things that I've been saying for the last two weeks as I've been speaking on the supernatural word. But here's what I want to do today, and I want to finish with this. In the Bible, we see some symbols. I told you last week I'm going to show you symbols in the Bible, right? These symbols are important to understand the potency and efficacy of the word. Okay? Number one symbol we see, the Bible is liking to milk. That one's a milk. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. Who do you feed milk with? Babies. That's what Paul the Apostle is basically telling the church as Corinth, that when I established the church, I began to feed you milk, the milk of the word. Are you listening to me? The milk of the word, and we have to understand who needs milk and who needs solid food. Are you listening now? Some people need milk. Some people need solid food. Because milk is for babies. That's the reason why the mother's milk is nutritious to the baby. Because it contains all the nutrients that the baby needs. And the baby's digestive system can only digest milk. Are you listening now? Are you listening to me? You can't take that baby and begin to feed them fufu. If you feed the baby fufu or steak, the baby will choke to death. 
That's exactly how it is in the spirit. When you feed babies, spiritual babies, solid food, they won't digest it. And you wonder why they are not growing. They can grow because they are not fed. You thought you're feeding them, but they are not fed. We've got to understand even in ministry, we are feeding the sheep, not the giraffes. And I thought someone would say amen. amen. That is if you understand what I said. <laughs> amen. Very important that we feed the sheep, the flock. Praise God. And that's why we have what we call the River of Love Discipleship Class. It's a 12-week discipleship class where we get people together for three months. Every Sunday we feed them milk. Why? Because when they are able to digest milk, they get to the place where they grow, their bones become strong. Yeah, right? And they grow up to where they can begin to, we can begin to introduce them to, to mildly solid food and then eventually to solid food. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. You cannot jump from primary school to university. Amen. That's why the Bible in, in Hebrews chapter 6 talks about the six basic fundamentals of Christ. Calls them fundamentals. Calls them primary doctrines of Christ. And if we don't know these six basic things, the Bible says let's not bother about going to maturity. Because until we know these six basic fundamentals of Christ, we cannot go to maturity. We have to know these six basic things before we go to maturity. A lot of people are not maturing in the things of God because they are refused milk. Did you hear me? Did you just hear what I told you? Very important. So the Bible, the word of God is liking to milk. The second scripture I'll give you is Hebrews chapter 5. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles. Oracles here meaning the word of God, the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk. And not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is still a babe. Are you seeing that? So the Bible differentiates a baby Christian from an adult Christian. Are you listening now? So if you're a baby Christian, we need to feed you milk. But if you're an adult Christian and you're still sucking your thumbs. That's a problem. Can someone say amen? amen? So if you're a baby, yes, we'll feed you milk. And listen, when you're a baby Christian, sometimes you pray some prayers that you just get by with them. But when you become an adult Christian, God expects you to use your faith. Are you listening now? The late, the late Kenneth Hagin told a story. He said um, if he was praying for his son, Kenneth Hagin Jr., and he said, Lord, I've been praying for my son to be healed, but I don't know what's going on. He's not getting healed. All the time I prayed for him in the past, he always got healed. But what's happening now? Because he has prayed and prayed and the son was not getting healed. So he goes to God and says, Lord, what's happening? My son is not getting well. The Lord said to him, you, you always used your faith for him because he was a baby. Now he's an adult. He knows what you teach. He understands what, in actual fact, he teaches what you teach. So don't expect me to heal him on your faith. He needs to use his own faith. Did you just hear what I just told you? Yeah. 
the Lord told the lake and the Hagen, your son needs to use his own faith. A lot of people live vicariously through other Christians. Some people live vicariously through their husbands or through their wives or through their parents. And I've said it over and over again, God does not have grandchildren. The fact that your parents are ministers of the gospel does not mean that God automatically gives you yeah. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to learn how to trust God for yourself. Can someone shout amen? amen? To whom much is given, much is expected. You come here, you sit here under the word, you cannot remain a baby. It's time to grow up. Can someone say amen? amen. Come on, tell your neighbor it's time to grow up. Babies are undiscerning. Babies are naive. Babies believe everything. They swallow hook, line, and sinker. Is that right? Because they are babies. They pick up scissors and needles and try to stick into their mouths. Because they are babies, they are undiscerning. They do not know that this can kill them. Is that true? But an adult shouldn't be picking up needles. And scissors. Is that right? And sticking into your mouth. Is that true? Can someone say amen? amen? And if you're still a baby Christian, don't be in a hurry. For the big things you see God doing through the others. Because some things you may not be able to handle right now. Hmm? Is that true? So Relax. Tell your neighbor, relax. <laughs> Amen. Is this helping anybody? Amen. Relax. Let's, let's help you grow up. And this church is about helping babies grow up. <laughs> no, we do a good job of helping babies grow up. If babies would only give us time, we will help you. Amen. Spiritual growth is similar to natural growth. And just as you feed on natural food to grow spirit, uh, naturally, you also have to feed on spiritual food to grow spiritually. You can't eat once in a blue moon and expect to grow spiritually. One of the ways to grow up spiritually is by taking responsibility. Everyone say responsibility. Good. You know, your child gets to a certain age, you start giving them responsibility in the house. They don't just wake up now and leave the room. When they wake up, they have to clean up, put the bed in order. Is that right? They're not responsible. Responsible. You know, some Christians are not responsible. Sorry to say that, but that's true. Oh, yeah. Some, people, some Christians are not responsible for their lives. They want to put their responsibility on me. No, you have to be responsible for your growth. Looks like I said something wrong. <laughs> the, the air was just sucked out of the room. Looks like I said something wrong. No, I didn't say anything wrong. No, you've got responsibility. I have responsibility too. But you have re I have responsibility over myself. I know I have responsibility over the church. But listen, you come here once in a blue moon and, or, or, or once in a week or twice in a week, really, 
I can help you as much as I can, but most of the responsibility is on you. You get a certain percentage of your spiritual food here. But I can guarantee you, you probably don't get 100%. In my spiritual growth, I realized that most of the things that God did in my life to help me grow was done in private. Did you hear what I said? In private. When I became a believer in Christ, I was 15 years of age. And, and, and I would read eight chapters in a stretch. In one sitting. Some days I read 15 chapters. And people want to know what the word says. And they want to know the will of God. But they don't want to spend time in the word of God. Did you hear what I just said? So the word of God's milk. It will help the young believer to grow. Number two. The word of God is solid food. Everyone says solid food. Solid food. Hebrews 5.14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. <laughs> I, I, I think you understand the context here is the, is the word. Solid food. See, he's not talking about natural food. He's not talking about steak and hamburgers. and. <laughs> no, he's actually talking about spiritual food. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Or you can say those who are mature. That is those who by reason of use... Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Can someone say amen? amen. Number three, the word of God is likened to a mirror. Second Corinthians 3.18, I read this from the Amplified Classic. It says, and, and all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God as in a mirror. The glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The word of God is what? Mirror. Everyone say mirror. Yeah. Did anyone stand in front of a mirror today? Good. Why do you stand in front of a mirror? You stand in front of the mirror to reveal what shouldn't be there. So that you take it out completely or to adjust what's in the wrong place. That's the basic reason for a mirror. To remove what should not be there or to adjust what's in the wrong place. This morning we got in the elevator and Pastor Uzo and I, he, he, he did this to me. He adjusted my tie. Thank you very much, sir. Adjusting my tie. Because you don't want to put your tie here. <laughs> You get my point. So, so when, you look in the, <laughs> when you look in the mirror and your, the knot of your tie is here, you can't just walk away and say, I don't care. <laughs> See, that's the way some people do. They, they look in the mirror and the tie is in the wrong place. And they say, I don't care. You know, some people are very sloppy. <laughs> they are, I don't care. I don't care. No, you must care. Can someone say amen? amen. Well, ladies, you look in the mirror and the lipstick is running all the way to your cheeks. You, 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 you better care. Because if you walk out from your house like that, people will think something is wrong with you. 
So a mirror is for one reason. To adjust what's in the wrong place and to take out what shouldn't be there. Sometimes you, you, I mean, I went in the mirror today and I looked and I picked something from my head. Because it shouldn't be there. (laughs) Every time you open the word, it's looking into the mirror. Because when you read the word, the mirror shows the real condition of your heart. And many times when people see the real condition of their hearts through the mirror of the word, they say, no, I don't want to touch that. But God shows you the real state of your heart so that you will deal with it and get it out. Because that's the problem. That's the hindrance. That's the obstacle. You must deal with it. You can't let that strife stay. You can't let the jealousy stay. You can't let the envy stay. You must deal with it. You can't let the lust stay. The word reveals it. You look in the word, it shows you your heart is not pure. Then you cry out to God and by his word, he cleanses your heart. And I thought someone would say amen. You can't let that jealousy stay. You can't let that mouth stay because it's filthy and it's talking rubbish. The word will show you. God, by his spirit and his word, will put his finger on the thing that has to change in your life. And that's what the Bible says. As we behold like in a mirror, the word of God, we are being changed from glory to glory. It is when we allow God's word expose the real condition of our hearts and we say, God, help me. That's when we change from another level of glory to another level of glory to another level of glory to another level of glory. Because God wants us to change from glory unto glory so that we don't remain the same the rest of our lives. Can someone shout amen? Amen. We can't avoid it. We can't say, no, I'm not going to deal with it. No, I don't want to confront it. No, we have to confront it. And the grace of God to confront it is given to us. If only we humble ourselves before God. The Bible says, humble yourself on that mighty hands of God and in due season, he shall exalt you. The Bible says, God resists the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. It's when you humble yourself before his word and you say, Lord, I see the real condition of my heart. I see the real condition of my attitude. And Lord, I want you to help me and change me. Then God can help you. Then God can change you. Then the grace of God is profusely released upon your life to help you, to change you, to transform you. Come on now, give him praise. Hallelujah. But you know, if we keep avoiding it, if we, if we keep making excuses. Many years ago, this was over 20 years ago, a Christian brother taught me something. He said, God will? I said, yes. He said, don't ever make excuse for anything you do wrong. And I grabbed it and I never let it go. Don't ever say, he made me do it. She made me do it. Always take responsibility. Because those who make excuse never change. But those who take responsibility will see the grace of God released. Can someone say amen? I'm here to tell you that none of us is perfect. 
but we are a walking progress. God is still doing a walking me. God is still doing a walking you. And if we stay humble and we stay by the word and we say, Lord, I know your word is about to change me and your word shows me what I shouldn't have in my life. And I humble myself before you. And when I do so, God comes and by his word, he changes me from glory unto glory. Amen. Can someone say amen? amen? The word is mirror. Everyone say the word is a mirror. Number four, the word is liking to water. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. Is this helping anybody? Yes. It says here in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might, notice, notice, notice what he might do. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. How? Notice, notice the way he, now no, notice, I want you to notice because what I'm about to read is very important. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Hmm. Now we see the scripture here reveals to us the way Jesus, the, the, the bridegroom, cleanses his bride. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing that? By the washing of the water, by the word, that he might present her to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So the question now is this, how does the bridegroom purify the church, the bride? By words. I want to say by words. Notice, by the washing of the water, by the word. Mm. That he might purge her. That he might present her to himself without spot or blemish. So the only way that Christ, the bridegroom, cleanses his bride is by the word. So Jesus is speaking words over us. Oh my God. Jesus, the bridegroom, is speaking words over the church. And every time he speaks his word over the church, the word will cleanse us. The word will purge us. The word will purify us. Many Christians are trying to attain holiness by mere willpower. I will never watch that movie again. Three months later. Oh yeah. That's not the way to be clean. By mere willpower. I would never go there again. I knew a man many years ago, over 25 years ago, the man said, I'll never smoke cigarettes. In actual fact, he made a New Year's resolution. You know how people tend to make New Year's resolutions. 31st of December. They make a resolution. I'll never do that. <laughs> and we come into the new year. I guess it was two months into the new year. And it, it, I see him with a stick of cigarette. I said, but you said you'll never smoke. He said, ah, that was last year. <laughs> Yeah. 
You can't attain holiness or purity without the word. Did you hear me? The scripture says that Jesus cleanses his bride, the church, by his word. The Bible says in Psalms 119 and verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way? That's the question. Look at the answer. By taking heed according to your word. It's only by the word. If you have an area where you're struggling or you're addicted, the word will cleanse you. The word is set you free. In a lot of times, you know, people think, Pastor, lay your hands on me and cast this devil out of me. Oh, listen, even if we lay our hands on you and cast that devil out of you, uh, listen, a lot of times it's actually not the devil, it's in the soul. Can someone say, God help me? A lot of times it's not the devil, it's in the realm of the soul. Because when you got saved, your spirit was saved instantaneously, but your soul was not. Your soul is saved progressively. And so it takes a while for the soul to line up to the word. And so when you take the word and you put the word in your heart and your soul, the word begins to renew your soul. And you find out that the thing you used to do, now you don't want to do anymore. Why? Because there is a, there's an exchange, there's a replacement. The old is gone, the new has come. Can someone say Amen. amen. The Bible says in Psalms 119 and verse 11, Your word I have heeding in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's verse 1, right? So verse 1 puts the responsibility on us. Present your body, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now we see what we do to change. Is that right? Renew your mind. How do you renew your mind? You renew your mind by the word. That you may be able to prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Should I continue? We're still fresh, so I can continue. Number five, the word of God is likened to a sword. Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How did Jesus defeat the devil? By the word. That's exactly what I wrote in my book here. How did Jesus defeat the devil by the word? The devil came and said, command the stones to be bread. Jesus said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Is that correct? And then Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, jump down from the pinnacle of the temple. For it is written, he will give his angels charge over Now the devil is quoting scriptures too. But the devil is actually twisting scripture. It says, jump down for it is written. Well, yes, it is written in Psalm 91 that he will give his angels charge over thee, but it is not written in Psalm 91, jump down, for he will give his angels charge over thee. Are you listening now? That's where we need to separate faith from presumption. That one say faith. faith. Say presumption. presumption. Presumption is when you think God will help you and God hasn't said nothing to you. And you step into the thing hoping God was going to help you and you find out, that my God, help is not on the way. Because you presumed God was going to help you. But you presumed contrary to the word. Faith is from the word. Presumption is from your head. Yes. 
We are on the sixth floor of this building. I'm about to open the window and jump out. Because it is written. Say, that's presumption. God has not given me a direct command to jump out. Peter knew that if he came out of the boat, he was going to sink. So he asked Jesus, should I come? Jesus said, come. Now he has a word. He wasn't presuming, Jesus, it's you. You're walking, I'm going to walk too. If he had done it, he would have sank. You hear a man come up, he gives a testimony of how he was in a service and the Lord spoke to him to give his car. He gave his car away or he gave everything in his bank account and you say to yourself, my God, I'm going to give my car now. You're presuming. I'm going to give all my money in my bank account now. You're presuming. Did God tell you? Hello? Say faith. Say presumption. So Satan quotes the scripture, but he twisted. Jump down for it is written. Jesus knew it. That's why you've got to know the word. If you don't know the word, the enemy is going to twist the word. And the enemy is going to ruin your life. You, because you will think the enemy is quoting scripture, but it's not. I've heard people say, heaven help those who help themselves. That the Bible says, the Bible does not say that. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say heaven help those who help themselves. Show me a scripture. It's not there. I mean, we have, to be honest, man, we have a generation of people who don't know the word of God. That's why deception, as it runs rampant in these last days, many are being deceived. All the nonsense we hear, religious nonsense, religious garbage that people say, it's nothing but un- people that are unlearned in the word. Churches in the heart. Who, where is that? Show me. It's nowhere. Are you listening to me? That's why many are swayed, many are deceived, many are falling away from the path that God has made available to us. Why? Because they don't have the word deeply embedded in their spirits. And all the nonsense that's flying around today in the world and in the church, in the body of Christ and at the attack on the body of Christ. All the nonsense people are believing in. You have to be grounded on the word of God. And when that lie comes, you will pick it up. You know it's a lie. It sounds good sometimes. Religiously correct. But we're not to follow religious correctness. We're to follow the truth of the word of God. And I thought someone would say amen. amen. Jesus said to the devil, it is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So he defeats Satan the second time. The third time Satan took him and showed him the glories of the world. Is that right? And said, bow to me and I shall give you the riches of the world. For it's being given to me. 
Jesus said, it is said. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. And notice what the Bible says. The Bible said the devil left him for another time. If you use the word of God correctly and accurately because the word is a sword, the enemy will let you go for a while. <laughs> but, but the reason why the enemy hasn't let some people go for a while is because they are not using the word of God accurately. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Re Revelation 19.15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he shall strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself threads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. What came out of the mouth of Jesus? Revelation chapter 19 verse 15. The sword. But we understand the sword is the word. You get that right? Huh? So what is coming out of his mouth? The sword. But we know it's the word. <laughs> it's not like when Jesus will come, you know, sword's going to be coming out of his mouth, Literally. No, the sword here is the word. That's why Ephesians 6 tells us that the sword is the word. Are you listening now? And if you notice in Ephesians chapter 6, I'll finish with this. I've just given you five things that the, Bible, the word of God is liking to. I have a few more, but let me finish with this. If you notice in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul talks about the armor of the believer, talks about the breastplate of righteousness, talks about the shield of faith, Talks about the helmet of salvation. Talks about your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Talks about the, 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 the belt of, of truth, right? Mm -hmm. So talks about all these things that it's available to us. In actual fact, Paul using the Roman soldier as an illustration or anatomy to show us how a Christian should be decked in the spirit. Breastplate, Right? Protecting your heart area. Right? The belt of truth. Holding up your waist area. And then you have, like even in the police today, you see they have all their stuff around their belt area. Is that right? Uh-huh. Your feet shot with the right shoes. Right? You don't see a, you don't see a military man wearing uh, slippers. <laughs> Right? You don't see that. Because <laughs> something might hurt your feet, right? Your helmet of salvation. But you notice that all of these things that's been given to us to be decked with are all for our defense. I want to say defense. There is only one instrument. In the armory, that's for offense. And that's the sword. Your shield of faith is to defend you. Your breastplate of righteousness is to defend you. Your feet is covered with the right boots to defend you. Right? 
The only one that's designed to offend is the sword. And the best way to defend is to offend. Should I say that again? The best form of defense is offense. If you're always playing defense, they're going to defeat you. You have to offend. When you offend, that means attack. Your, your enemy won't have time to settle down. Some of you wait until troubles come before you start praying. Hmm. Now, when the trouble is right at the door, your tongues... Now you're panicking. Emergency, thank you so much. I was actually looking for that word. Emergency tongue. See, but now, why you are late? You're panicking. See, because you should have been ready way before. You should have been ready way, way, way before. You should have been ready before the problem came. The best form of Defense is attack. Don't wait until trouble comes before you begin to use the word. Don't pray until trouble comes before you begin to pray. Get yourself going. Start using the word. Start attacking. Can someone say amen? amen. Start speaking the truth. Start speaking what God has told you. Start speaking what the word of God speaks over your life. Start speaking what the word of God says. And I tell you, when trouble comes, it won't shake you. It won't bother you. Why? Because in you is the word that fights off everything the enemy tries to put upon your life. Can someone give him praise? Can someone give him glory in the house today? Hallelujah.